Let me add, let me add my welcome to all the ones you've received already. It really is good to see all of you. My name is Raymond. I'm also one of the pastors here. It's such a privilege to come here week in and week out. Not, not simply to call myself a Christian because of God's grace that I, that I first realized about 14 years ago, but it's, it's just a privilege to be here with all of you. I can echo what Chris said. I mean, it, it, if it weren't for the grace of Christ, I would not be here. On, se- on Sunday morning, I would not be here with all of you for sure. Uh, but this is what God's grace does, so... You guys are way too cool for me. There's no way you'd you'd even let me come here. Do me a favor. Open your Bibles. Open your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 5. I don't know when the last time was that you read Leviticus, but we're about to do do that this morning. Just a little piece of Leviticus chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. I'm going to go ahead and read that for us, and then I'll pray and we'll get started. Verse 17 of chapter 5, Leviticus, if anyone sins, doing any of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, though he did not know it, then realizes his guilt, he shall bear his iniquity. He shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish out of the flock or its equivalent for a guilt offering, and the priest shall make atonement for him for the mistake that he made unintentionally, and he shall be forgiven. It is a guilt offering. He has indeed incurred guilt before the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please help us this morning. Help us to remember what it says in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Help us to learn from the Scriptures this morning and to be encouraged by them so that we can endure in faithfulness to You and so that we would not be moved from the hope held out to us in the Gospel. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Let's not overcomplicate the issue, some say. I mean, in the end of it, when everything's said and done, Christianity is very simple, right? It's about loving and helping people. It's about meeting the needs of others and making a difference in the world. Who needs doctrinal statements and creeds? Those sort of things just just cause arguments and unnecessary divisions. You've, You've heard that, right? You've probably thought it. And to be fair, those who say this probably are trying to restore a much needed balance to to some expression of the Christian church somewhere in the world, a balance between deeds and creeds. But, but we can't just go around saying our faith is not simply, our faith is simply about deeds and not creeds. It just won't work. It's really both. It's really both. And in fact, in fact, um, don't take my word for this. I, I mean, don't take my word. When I say that Christianity is not just about deeds, but it's also about what we believe in about creeds, let's look at a, a couple of places in the Bible. Just a few examples that speak about the importance of truth in the life of the Christian. First of all, our relationships with each other, as valuable as those are, did you know that they have to be guided by truth? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 says that we must not simply speak to one another in love, but what? To speak the 
truth to one another in love. Our relationships have to be guided by truth. What about our worship of God? Our worship of God has to be governed by and guided by truth, doesn't it? Do you remember in John chapter 4 where Jesus meets that Samaritan woman in, the, in that story there right by the well? In verses 22 through 24, he actually tells her, I can tell from your question that something's kind of off in the way you understand God and worship. You worship what you don't know, but we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. And then he tells her, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So our worship of God has to be governed by and guided by truth. Our joy in this life is connected to the truth. Jesus prayed, or rather the Apostle John said in 3 John verse 4, I have no greater joy. No greater joy. Now what could be the Apostle John's greatest joy? He said, I have no greater joy than this, than to know that my children walk in the truth. And finally, our sanctification, our growth as believers, our growth as Christians becoming more like Christ, is affected by the truth. Do you remember Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17, verse 17, as he prayed right before returning to his Father and going to the cross, as he prayed for his first disciples, as he prayed for all those who would believe in them through, or believe in him rather, through their message, including us. He said, Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Christianity has always been and will always be concerned with truth. So yes, it's about loving people. Yes, it's about helping people. Yes, it's about meeting the needs of others. But it is also about doing all of these things from a place of truth. And that's why, I say all of that to say this, that's why we're taking some time on Sunday mornings to go through and to revisit the Nicene Creed. Now, some 1,700 years ago, this was written not as a substitute for or some go alongside of Scripture. Robert Greene has been saying that almost every week. We're not saying in any way that the creed is equal in authority with the Scriptures. But what we're saying is that it is a very good summary of what those Scriptures teach. And so we're taking some time to revisit that. And today we're we're coming to a part of the creed that says, For our sake, speaking of Jesus, He was crucified under Pontius Pilate, suffered death, and was buried. In fact, we're going to say that together if we have that slide. We're going to say that together as a congregation, starting with for our sake. If you can remember it, we might say it before it gets up there on the slide. But for our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to notice what what the Nicene Creed says here. Right there in the middle of that. It doesn't just tell us what happened to Jesus. That he was crucified, suffered death, and was buried. It tells us why all those things happened to Jesus. It was for our sake. And all throughout the Bible, this is the testimony of the Scriptures. That Christ, when he died, was not dying for himself, but for others. For sinners like us. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. The Son of Man came not to be served, but 
to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Again, as a substitute, dying for others. To give his life as a ransom. In other words, Jesus exchanged his life for our freedom. And one of the things that we needed freedom from, one of the reasons we needed him to die, was our guilt before God. And we're going to spend the rest of the time today talking about the sacrifice of Christ for a guilty world. Can you remember the last time you felt guilt? Probably not too long ago for most of us. I remember this past Wednesday night, my wife went upstairs very quickly to do something with the children. It's our date night, so we didn't go out this night, but we were, we were downstairs just hanging out, and, and she went up there really quickly, and I, I felt a little bit rushed and behind in my preparation for a wedding on Saturday, a sermon on Sunday, and so I peered at my notes when she went upstairs, and that's a no-no on date night for us. I don't know what you guys do, but, but that's a no-no. So she came down, and she saw me, and she said, what are you doing? I said, ah, you know, I was looking at my notes. I'm uh, sorry, please forgive me. You know, and she did, of course, but that was the, that's the last time I can remember feeling guilt, Wednesday. It was, it was pretty heavy. I don't know when the last time was for you, but we've all felt guilt before. What is it? Where does it come from? And, and more importantly, probably, how can we be free from it? I'm going to let you listen to somebody named Doris. I don't know Doris. But she had a lot to say on the internet. She's a behavioral psychologist. And here's what she said from her place of expertise. See if it sounds familiar. Guilt is the worst experience known to humans. It ties you up in knots and makes you feel unworthy and miserable. However, guilt is not a real emotion. It is caused by thinking that you have done something wrong. And you only think that you have done something wrong because you judge yourself or you allow someone else to judge you. For instance, she says, a child does not feel guilty until someone tells her that she has offended someone or hurt their feelings. Feeling guilty then is a conditioned response, not an authentic emotion. Guilt is a form of manipulation. So, so how do you get rid of it, she says. Become conscious of your judgments of yourself so that you can stop doing that. Start attending to your own needs and honor them instead of trying to make them wrong. Open your heart so that you can feel your real feelings and emotions. After all, there's no right or wrong, Doris says, only experiences to learn from. So get out there and enjoy learning and living and growing. Toss guilt out, trust yourself. And love yourself. Create the life you want and the relationships you want while you enjoy guilt-free living. I hope this helps. And my favorite part. You can order a one-hour educational audio of our live seminar. Learn the guilt-busting tools that you need to put guilt in the trash by listening to Doris teach others how to do so, and this audio seminar can be yours for a one-time fee of $29.97. We're about to learn that it costs God a whole lot more than $30 to get rid of our guilt. But I want us to learn a couple of important things from Doris. The first thing is this. Notice that for Doris and for many people, 
the main problem to be solved here was the feeling of guilt. She says there's no right or wrong. So you can't actually be guilty for anything, even if you feel guilty. And so her solution to the feeling of guilt is understandably very simple. Trust yourself. Love yourself. That's how you'll find freedom from guilt, she says. Now, what I want us to do is I want us to kind of hear what Doris has said. Know that it represents the thinking of a lot of people in the world, perhaps some of us in here this morning. And then I want us to look back again at Leviticus chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. We're going to compare and contrast what the Bible says on this subject. So if we have Leviticus chapter 5, verses 17 through 19, let's put that up so we can all see it. Start in verse 17. There are three very important differences when it comes to the Bible's teaching on guilt, when we compare it to what Doris said. And the first of those that I want to highlight is the cause of our guilt. First, the cause of our guilt. Verse 17. If anyone sins, doing anything that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, we're told at the end of verse 19 that this person has indeed incurred guilt before the Lord. And so you can see that the cause is sin. You see that? If anyone sins, verse 19, he has indeed incurred guilt before the Lord. Now, according to Doris, it's, it's a little bit different. Guilt is the result of judging yourself or letting someone else judge you. So, in other words, she's saying, when we feel like we have fallen below our own moral or ethical standards, or we've fallen below the moral or ethical standards of somebody whose opinion is important to us, then we feel guilty. Then guilt comes. That's how we, we experience guilt. That's, that's where it comes from. However, you, it's very clear in the Bible here that guilt comes from sin. And notice, it's, it's, not, it's not really a consideration about our moral standards or ethical standards. It's not when we fall short of those that we incur guilt. Did you catch that? It says whenever anyone does anything, look at verse 17 again, doing anything that ought not to be done by the Lord's commandments. It's God's moral standards. It's God's ethical standards. It's God's word. It's God's commands. Whenever we fall short of that, whether we feel it or not, guilt is there. Guilt is there. Let's keep looking. It's not just the, the cause of our guilt that we see a difference here when we compare the two, but look at the nature of our guilt. Look at the nature of our guilt. Again in verse 17, you'll notice the Bible makes a very important distinction between the feeling of guilt and the fact of guilt. It says, if anyone sins, doing any of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, though he did not know it, then realizes his what? Guilt. Notice it doesn't say, then realizes his ignorance. It says, then later, though he didn't know it at the time, he did not know that what he was doing was against the Lord's commands. He did not know that he had indeed incurred guilt. It says here that if anyone sins... 
Skip down, then realizes his guilt later, he shall bear his iniquity. Now here's the, here's the point. You can only realize your guilt later if you actually have guilt there. Guilt was incurred at the point that sin took place. This is very important to understand. Guilt, it does not all of a sudden become guilt. You don't all of a sudden have guilt put on your record only after you realize that what you did was against the Lord's commands. Very important to understand this. God's commands are fixed. He has spoken and they are fixed. They are binding over all humanity. And God has spoken and Anytime anyone sins doing any of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, guilt is incurred. And often we don't feel that guilt when it is incurred. But the feeling of guilt and the fact of guilt are two different things and they must be considered independently. The guilt is indeed there. Does everybody see that? I mean, this is tough because it runs contrary to the way that we think. If, if someone didn't know that it was wrong at the time and they did it, all of us would probably just excuse them and say that you don't, you don't, we don't ascribe guilt to you for that. But I at least want to be very clear about what the Bible teaches so that there would be no misunderstanding here that guilt is incurred even if we are ignorant at the time that we had transgressed the Lord's commands. So there's the cause of our guilt. We see a difference. We see a difference in the nature of guilt. That guilt can be incurred even where we are ignorant. And finally, the, one of the biggest differences is in the solution for our guilt that Doris presents as opposed to what the Bible presents. So for Doris, you'll remember, the solution to the problem of guilt was found in loving ourselves, was it not? Trusting ourselves. That's how you get out from under guilt. That's how you become free. Just love yourself. Trust yourself. There's no real guilt there. By the way, I'll, I'll just mention this. I didn't say this in the first service, but you, people do this with pain too, don't they? They deny that there's any real such thing as pain. Have you, ever, have you ever come across one of those people? If I'm talking about you, you can, you, can, you can sit up. But there are people who say that pain isn't a real thing. It's all a figment of the imagination. In fact, there's this one guy, he, he was a really, really smart guy. I think some sort of a... A scientist, but he had studied a lot and he came to that conclusion. He said, he said, pain is just not a real thing. It's all in your mind. And so one of his friends decided to teach him a lesson. So one day this guy was about to sit down in his chair and his friend was waiting for him. He got a little thumbtack and stuck it right there on his chair. Now don't try this at home. But he stuck a thumbtack there and the guy sat down and I mean immediately just jumped up screaming in pain. And and his friend looks at him and laughs and says, now, what do, you, what do you have to say about that? And the guy, the guy apparently was, was quite a poet as well. And he said, well, I've studied a lot. And I'll stick to my word when I say that pain isn't real. But if you sit on a pin and the point enters in, you won't like what you think that you feel. <laughs> now, now, pain is real, all right? Guilt is real as well. The pain that we feel at times at the level of conscience. And the solution for it is very costly and it's, it's very different from what Doris presents. You'll see the solution actually in the Bible in verse 18. Whenever guilt is incurred before the Lord, an offering must be presented. 
a guilt offering. Let's take a look at it in verse 18. It says here that he, this is the one who has sinned, shall bring to the priest a ram without blemish out of the flock, or its equivalent for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the mistake that he made unintentionally. And he shall be forgiven. This is how we're forgiven. This is how we're free from the guilt that we incur. The precise and correct offering that God demands is made. A guilt offering. And he shall be forgiven. It is a guilt offering. So we see there's a big difference in the way that people commonly think and what the Bible teaches about guilt. There's a difference in the cause of guilt. The Bible cites that the cause of guilt is sin. There's a difference in terms of the way we think about the nature of guilt. It can actually be incurred even if we are ignorant at the time of God's decrees and and demands. There's a difference between the fact of guilt and the feeling of guilt. And there's certainly a difference in the solution for guilt. We cannot wish it away. We cannot deny its existence and be helped. We cannot simply say that, oh, it was no big deal. We'll trivialize what we did. None of those things works. What must be done is a correct offering a guilt offering must be presented to the Lord. So let's, let's, let's try to apply all of that for us here today. What does that mean for us? It, it brings us to a very important question. And, and I want to speak first of all to those of us here who may not yet be Christians. And, and when I say that, well, what does that mean, may not be a Christian? Some people say I've been a Christian all my life and, and everybody's got a different definition of what that means. Let's, let's kind of just borrow from what we read today. When I say that you may not yet be a Christian, what I mean is you've never in your life, from your heart, you've never really come before God and before the cross of Jesus Christ to acknowledge your guilt before God. You've never come admitting your need for forgiveness. I'm speaking to you at this point, if that's you. And everybody else, listen as well, because I think this is helpful. My question is this. Have you incurred guilt before the Lord? You, you may not feel guilty. And I, I'm, not, I'm not just trying to make you feel guilty. I'm, I'm trying to help you understand the guilt that is there between you and God. And there is a big difference. I'm not, I'm not just trying to make you feel guilty. I understand that's a very big put-off for some people in religious environments. I'm trying to help you see a very real problem of guilt which stands between you and God. One which God, because of his love for you, would want to remove. Have you indeed incurred guilt before the Lord? The answer is yes. If, according to this passage, you have sinned. If you have done anything which by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, then yes, you have indeed incurred guilt before the Lord. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, speaks about this. How many of us have indeed incurred guilt before the the Lord? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All, including you, including me. All have sinned and have indeed, as a result, incurred guilt before the Lord. And there's a penalty for that guilt that awaits us. But you have indeed incurred guilt before the Lord, and that is indeed very bad news. This might be even worse news. Where, where is your guilt offering? 
What will you present to the Lord that things might be put right between you and Him? If you choose it yourself, how do you know that it will be good enough for Him? Now here is the good news. On one level, and only on one level, Doris was right. Now I know some of you are thinking, what is he talking about? Remember when she said what the solution for guilt was? She actually said the solution for guilt was love and trust. The problem was she said it was your love for yourself and your trust in yourself. But the solution for guilt is God's love for us and our trust in God. The guilt offering which must be presented to God is one that He has taken upon Himself to make. God has taken matters in His own hands when it comes to us and our sin and our guilt before Him. He took matters into His own hands and He has made the perfect guilt offering for us. He chose one, just as it says here in verse 18, God chose one who was unblemished, spotless, pure, perfect, without sin. He chose His Son, Jesus Christ, and sent Him to the cross as an offering for our sin and guilt. And Jesus' sacrifice so perfectly pleased God that anyone who comes to the cross of Jesus Christ owning and claiming their share in the guilt which made His death necessary can also come and claim their share in the gift of of Jesus' death. The cross of Christ offers us a full pardon full forgiveness, and eternal life. And God raised Jesus from the dead to prove that He accepted this sacrifice. Have you, listen, have you indeed incurred guilt before the Lord? Yes. Whether you feel it or not, I hope you're beginning to feel it so that you might be moved in your heart to realize what God has done about it and to accept the sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf. For our sake, Christ was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He died and was buried. And God raised him from the dead. And we'll take a look at that next week. And then you might be thinking, what if, what if I am a Christian? What do I do with the guilt that I experience? Whenever I do anything that's against the Lord's commands and I, I feel that guilt coming upon me again, what do I do with that? Well, here's my encouragement for those of us who are in that category. Continue to trust in Christ. Don't move to something else. This very same gospel that we're preaching, this very same good news is for you too. Let it go deeper and deeper into your heart so that the next time you feel guilty, you'll remember, you'll remember what Chris DeRocco was sharing with me on Thursday. We were sitting in the office and, and he and Rebecca, his wife, are, are going through the book of 1 John together at home. And Chris was reminding me of 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. And here, for Christians, here's, here's what we're talking about. It says there that if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To cleanse our consciences from the stain of guilt and the unrighteousness that we have incurred. To cleanse us. 
having been fully pardoned at some time, to, to, be, to be cleansed of that guilt, that filth. Robert's been telling us, last week he said it, and, and, and it's been sitting with me, that we should run to God at those moments, not away from him. That we run to him. Because as it continues to say there in 1 John, that, brothers, I write this to you, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, I write this to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, did you know that there's a place in the New Testament that, that says the same thing, if anyone sins? Watch what the cross has done. As you go from Leviticus chapter 5 through the cross to 1 John chapter 2, this time we read, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Our guilt offering has become our advocate. When we sin and guilt comes to us, the feeling of guilt, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And so we can go to God the Father through Jesus Christ, our advocate in heaven who pleads for us. And we have an advocate there at that time of need when the guilt comes upon us. And we have a heavenly Father who is willing, faithful, and just to forgive us of all sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why would we turn away from Him? Why would we let guilt eat us up? Why would we let it tie us up in knots? When the blood of Christ is there, come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sour. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love and power. Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need for him. There is a fountain filled with blood that flows from Jesus' veins. And sinners plunge beneath its flood, lose all their guilty stains. Why would we turn away from Christ and from our Father who is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness? Are you holding on to anything, any guilt? Are you hiding it even from God? Come to the light. Come to the cross for the first time or the hundredth time and find the forgiveness and the cleansing that you need. And I'll close, I'll close our time together with these words. This is John Newton. And some of you know him as the guy who wrote the song Amazing Grace. He also wrote another song that's not as familiar. And the original title is In Evil Long, I Took Delight. And now I think it's called The Look. But it speaks there of two looks that we get from Jesus Christ. And I like to think of them as two looks he gives us from the cross. And John Newton said, I saw one hanging on a tree in agony and blood, who fixed his loving eyes on me as near his cross I stood. And never till my dying breath will I forget that look which seemed to charge me with his death, though not a word he spoke. And my conscience felt and owned the guilt and plunged me in despair. I saw my sins his blood had spilt and helped to nail him there. But with a second look, he said, I freely all forgive This blood is for your ransom paid. I died that you might live. Let us run to the cross of Jesus Christ, our guilt offering, now our advocate, and find the forgiveness and the cleansing that we need today, whether we are Christians or not. And I pray if there's anyone here this morning, you walked in the door, never having come to the the cross of Christ for that forgiveness 
to remove the guilt that you have incurred between you and God, then I pray that today something that was said, something that you heard, something that was experienced, the voice of God, the Holy Spirit himself would would bring your heart to the place where you would turn to Christ in faith. It's God's love for you expressed in the death of Christ and the faithfulness of God in raising Christ up and our trust and faith in, in Christ and his sacrifice that sees not only our guilt but all sin removed that we might be forgiven and cleansed. Let's pray. Lord, I trust that as your words were read and explained and preached, as Christ was declared that your Holy Spirit does what your Holy Spirit does, that, that he made these words alive to, to our hearers this morning. And I just pray that you would, you would grant the gift of repentance and faith in Christ, the gift of salvation and eternal life, and that you would also help those of us as Christians who are who are struggling with these things on a daily and weekly basis to remember that we now have an advocate in heaven. If anyone sins, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. 